me to Obadiah in the Old Testament. If we've been together in the recent past, you will easily find it because we have been making a journey through the minor prophets and you'll be aware that we have uh, looked at Hosea, we have looked at Joel, and we have also looked at Amos. So Obadiah is really the next book after that. Um, our series is entitled Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. And uh, I trust that you are appreciating how most of its messages are directed towards Israel and Judah, sometimes to other nations as well around Israel and Judah, but primarily to God's people because of their idolatry. God's people may have sinned in many ways, uh, but often it is when idolatry continues in a stubborn way that God begins to threaten discipline and final punishment. The 12 books that are entitled the Minor Prophets are written across a certain time frame of Israel. And it is just before they were taken into captivity during the period of their captivity and then also when they came back from captivity into the promised land. And if you were here when we made our way through Hosea and Joel and Amos, you will know that all these were written prior to Israel going into captivity because the message was clearly the same and was a message of warning warning and warning. Don't continue the way you are going because if you do, I am coming in judgment. Repent, amend your ways, and as you do so, you will instead know God's glorious blessing, uh, blessings that cannot be numbered, and so on. In fact, that's the way Amos ended, as we shall again see briefly this evening. So those were the messages coming from prophet after prophet prior to Israel going into captivity. Today we are in Obadiah and uh, it is the shortest book in the whole Bible. Just one chapter. You can read it uh, in very, very few minutes. And uh, in reading it, it soon becomes evident that it was not written during the period of warnings. It looks like judgment has already fallen. Now, it's not too evident which judgment this might be. Some commentators think it was when the Philistines attacked Israel. Others, and are more inclined to join them, is that it was when the Babylonians 
attacked Israel, or more specifically, attacked Judah. So it would have been written round about a time when the attack has taken place. And because of that attack, they are now uh, suffering something of God's judgment. And yet, Obadiah is not really written to the people of Israel. It is instead written to another people. And they are referred to as the Edomites, the people of Edom. If you look at this one, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. He's, he's come to you to tell you a message from God. Well, we saw from the previous book, for instance, Amos, that when Amos began, he was addressing quite a number of nations around Israel. You will remember that. One after the other. For two solid chapters until he finally landed in Israel. And so the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, is not just a God of his people. And then he was against other gods that belonged to other peoples. He's the only God in the entire universe. And so he is able to say to even the nations that are not his, repent, I am coming after you if you don't. He is the only God. And as we make our way through uh, this passage of uh, the Bible, just one or two words that might help us by way of um, appreciation. The, the people of Edom were actually descendants of Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. They were actually twins, but went their separate ways because Jacob was the one who was chosen by God to be the, the people, or his descendants were to be the people of grace. However, there was a contention between the two brothers, partly to be blamed on Jacob, who later on came to be called um, Israel, you, you will recall. And uh, he, he stole his brother's birthright. And though later on his brother seems to have gotten over it and said, fine, you know, let's, uh, let's put this behind us and, and move on, the, the descendants of Esau never forgot about that issue. And consequently, for over 1,000 years, there was a quarrel between the people of Israel and the Edomites. There was no coming together and saying, let's, let's heal the schism that took place there uh, before and one of the signs of it, which I will take you in a few minutes to, was when the people of Israel escaped from Egypt and were being taken into the promised land. The, the shortest route 
would have been through Edo. That was the shortest route. They would have gotten there in no time. But their cousins, if we could use that phrase now, said, sorry, Baba, we are not bring, allowing you to pass through. And so they had to go a longer route in order to finally enter into the promised land. So I was saying that some way in which we are to, to understand this passage of Scripture, it's, uh, let me try and put it two ways. First of all, from the angle of God speaking directly to the Edomites, it's, it's a warning to all of us who are Christians, all non-Christians, but especially those of us who are non-Christians. When we become sworn enemies of God's people and, and begin to want to destroy them, often because of some grudge, something in the past that is now driving you, and consequently, you are seeking to destroy a child of God or a people of God. The, the, this passage is basically saying God will fight for them. You will be the loser in the end. You might appear to win now because you've got advantages on your end, but you will be the loser. The second part the second way in which we can understand this one chapter book is by the message now being understood by God's people. You who are under attack, what about you? And the simple message is trust and obey. In other words, leave it to God as you will notice here, the Israelites are not being summoned to, to come and, and, and fight for themselves. We shall see in a moment. God is basically saying, I'll, I'll take care of business. I'll handle it. Don't worry. I will, in the end, vindicate you. And that's something those of us who are Christians just need to learn. Because often, we, we, we want to, to fight our own fights. And the Lord is saying, no, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Okay, with those words of introduction, let us plunge into this passage. First of all, um, we, we see that God is determined to humble Edom. God is determined to humble Edom. They are a proud people and he is now sending the message through Obadiah basically saying, I am coming to humble you despite your pride. Let's just read verse 1 to verse 4 before I take you to Isaiah 14. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. And among the nations simply means not Israel. So it's like saying the Gentiles. Okay. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. The her now is Edom. 
Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be dis utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. Now, the phrase clefts of the rock is a, it speaks of security. Many, many years ago, I can't even remember when it was, I was uh, looking at some eagles and uh, where they normally put their nests. And it can be high, high up on a cliff edge where nobody can reach. How they found that little point somewhere where there was an opening and that's where they put their nests. They are able to soar up there. Nobody else can. It is a place of refuge that seems to be away from danger. So it's something of that uh, spirit that is captured there. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling who say in your heart who will bring me down to the ground. That's a statement of pride. Look at how secure we are. Maybe it's in terms of armament. Maybe it's in terms of the many other nations that have been brought to bow before <clears throat> you as a nation. But the picture is that of the lofty dwelling in the cleft of the rock. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, there it is, though your nest is set among the stars, now that's even going beyond the cleft of the rock, high, high, high up there now, though you are even up there, listen to what God is saying, from there I will bring you down, declares there's no safe place when the Lord now says, I am moving in. Very quickly, Isaiah chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 13 to 15. And one of the things that I hope you will notice is that Isaiah, Jeremiah, and um, um, Ezekiel address this same issue from time to time. But let's begin with uh, Isaiah uh, 14 and uh, just verse uh, 13 downwards. These words are normally attributed to the devil, but uh, originally they were meant for uh, Babylon, the very nation that attacked Israel. And the thing that I want you to notice from there, again, is the way in which pride is pictured with respect to this sort of rising above uh, the heavens and so on. Verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Desta, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nation's law, and this is Babylon. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will make myself like the Most High. And here it is, verse 15. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. The message there is pretty obvious. And it is this. Your pride will come to an end. Because there is no place that is out of God's reach. Obadiah continues. But this time, basically he is uh, bringing out something of the, the, the completeness with which this disaster will be. The um, sort of leaving nothing after the disaster comes. And again, we'll just read verse 5 down to verse 7. Verse 5 down to verse 7. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how have you been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? The point he's making there is that, you know, when you, if thieves break into your home at night and you wake up in the morning, you don't sort of find yourself on the floor and the house is completely empty. You don't. You probably find you're still on your bed and maybe a few other items are still around. Maybe all you've lost is your hi-fi system, your, your plasma TV, your computers, you know, those kinds of things that fetch quite a bit of money out in the streets. But, but they leave you with something. You know, you might start thinking it's witchcraft if you wake up and then there's absolutely nothing. You're on the floor. So that's the point he's making there. Similarly, if grape gatherers come to you, would they not leave gleanings? Something. Whoever comes through to gather grapes, they will always leave some grapes hanging. You can't come and find that they've gathered everything. Not a grape is remaining. That never happens. Well, it's going to be different with Esau. The six, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Let me read verse 8 and 9 as well because it, it finishes off this aspect of total destruction. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esa? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. That's how serious God is in speaking about bringing a complete destruction to these people that were opposed to the Lord's people themselves. Now, just a few quick points. In verse 7, there is a phrase that we are not too familiar with uh, because it doesn't necessarily represent our thought pattern 
halfway through verse 7 it says, Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. The statement, those who eat your bread, refers to those who are close to you. Those who come into your home and eat with you. They are very close to you. Therefore, they are the kind of people we often say, I can give him my back. He, he, he's somebody who I can put a pistol in his hand, give him my back, I've got no worry whatsoever. He's not the kind of person who's going to, to pull the trigger. What well, the Lord is saying here that for Esa, those very ones who have become very close are the ones who would come to destroy. You remember uh, our Lord Jesus Christ quoted Psalm 41. So let me just quickly take you there. Psalm 41 and verse 9. Psalm 41 and verse 9. It's one of those psalms that uh, we looked at a few months ago in our continuing uh, consecutive evening readings. Psalm 41 and verse 9. I'll begin from verse 8. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted. And then you know parallelism, Hebrew parallelism. Who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And here he was using the picture to point to Judas. That here is somebody who eats my bread with me. He's, he's, I have such close fellowship with him. He now is the one who as it were kicks at me. He has lifted his heel against me. With respect to the, the men that are being um, slaughtered or cleared out completely, I'm tempted to read Jeremiah chapter 49, and I think I'll still take you there. The reason why I want to read Jeremiah 49, and it's quite a few verses, by the way. That means it's quite many verses. Uh, <laughs> it's because it, it's almost as though Obadiah stole these words from Jeremiah. He didn't. Obviously, it was the same God inspiring both of them. But it's interesting how the words of Jeremiah here, in Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, 49, I'll begin from verse 7. I could have begun earlier, but earlier the judgment is against uh, the Ammonites. But from uh, verse 7, it is against the Edomites. What I want you to notice as I read is that the echo of Obadiah is totally unmistakable. Listen to this. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Now that's exactly where we ended in verse 8. Will I not on that day, declare the, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau 
and your mighty men shall be dismayed or tamed. Exactly the same idea there. But let's go on. Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths or inhabitants of Eden. Uh, sorry, Dedan. And again there, it is the same people that are now being told to flee away. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? And again, you remember that illustration. I already dealt with it. But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places. And he's not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. Let's go on. For thus says the Lord, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? In other words, I've punished others for less crimes than you. You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Bozrah shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual wastes. That's what God will do. And again, remember, this is not God saying, Israel is going to come back and fight you. He's saying, this is what I will do. Me, God, I'm going to destroy. Verse 14, I have heard a message from the Lord, an envoy has been sent among the nations. Aha! That's where Obadiah began. You remember in chapter 1 and uh, uh, verse, verse, verse 1 actually, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. And here it says, rise up, let us rise against her for battle. In Jeremiah it says, gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. So literally, the same message from God. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. We saw that already. The horror you inspired has deceived you, and the pride of your heart. You who live in the clefts of the rock, we saw that already, who behold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Let's continue. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord, no man shall dwell there, no man shall sojourn in her. Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I, again I want you to notice that, it's the Lord, I will suddenly make him run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan that the Lord has made against Edom. 
and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Even the little ones of the flock will be dragged away. Surely their fold shall be upheld at their fate. At the sound of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Bozrah. And the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in birth pains. Well, I told you it was a rather lengthy section, but I hope you can appreciate why I have done this. It's basically bringing all those verses, verse 1 to verse 9, together and showing that it wasn't just one prophet who was saying to Edom, this is going to happen to you. There's at least another prophet, in this case, Jeremiah, also coming basically with the same message. And if anything, they needed to listen. But why was God doing this <clears throat> to Edom? I've already given you uh, something of the answer, but I want now to take you to at least one or two passages. First of all, it is Numbers and uh, chapter 20. Numbers of the 20. Before I read Numbers of the 20, let me read verse 10, uh, because verse 10 tells us why. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall come, shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Now, again, remember, it is speaking in terms of representatively. So this is not necessarily Jacob as a person. It is the Israelites together as descendants of, of Jacob. Now, one place where it happened is the one I referred to you earlier, and it is in um, uh, Numbers of the 20 and beginning with verse, 20, verse 14. Numbers 20, beginning with verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us up, brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Okay, so we are just by your borders. Please. They've just talked about how much they suffered. They really suffered in Egypt. Now they are begging. Please, let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway, what today we would call uh, the the highway, the, the main road that goes between two towns. Here is the bad news. Verse 18. But Edom said to him, 
you shall not pass through, lest I come out with a sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass through. What is worse is the next statement. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. That's already bad enough. But what happened now was that with the, the coming in of the Babylonians, the Edomites are rejoicing. Let's read on. Verse 11. On the day that he stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, that is, the wealth of Israel, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Now, that's why the assumption is that it must be Babylon. Because the Assyrians came and took the other ten tribes. And it was the Babylonians that came into Jerusalem to attack Jerusalem. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of your, their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Well, that's what was happening. And God is saying, stop it. Stop it. These are your brothers. Yes, a foreign nation has come to destroy, and indeed it was God's punishment upon them, but you are not to appoint yourself as the, the cheerleader. Take them, take them, sort them out. And so, no, these are your brothers. So you're not supposed to rejoice in that context. And brethren, the message really applies to all of us in a continuous way. As I said, Yes, you may not be in good books with a brother or a sister in the Lord. But that's no reason why you should be celebrating when, humanly speaking, misfortune comes on. That's not the time for you now to, to take to social media and let the world know that this is what has now happened. That's not the time for you to become chief spokesman on behalf of the devil. No. 
because that's a brother, that's a sister, that's a Christian church. Instead, you ought to be praying for them. You ought to, to bemoan what has happened to them. It's not the time to celebrate. Because if you do, the Lord has a day of justice. And that's what we come to now in verse 15 to verse 18. Verse 15 to verse 18. That, that famous statement, the day of the Lord. You remember, we've come across it a few times already. Especially in Amos. Amos used it a few times when he was referring to the lion roaring in the day of the Lord. It's the day, not the day of worship, which is the Lord's day. It is the day of wrath. It's the day when God comes to, to avenge his people. And that's what he goes on to speak about here. Let's quickly read it, uh, verse 15 down to verse 18. And the main thing I want you to notice is, um, first of all, there is definitely punishment coming to the Edomites, but at the end of the day, as Israel is being disciplined as well, Israel will survive, or better still, uh, Judah or Jacob will survive what is happening. Verse, 18, verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. So it's a day of justice. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. There it is. As though there had never been. In other words, total annihilation. Total. That is what is coming. And in a sense, this is what has happened because you can tell where Israel is. But if I said to you, point on the map where Edom is, I doubt that you will. But let's go on, because he now speaks about the people of Israel. Verse 17. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. In other words, as we, we, we already learned in, uh, in Amos, we'll go back there in a few minutes. The punishment that was coming upon Israel was to purify. It was to burn the dross so that only that which is holy will finally survive and remain. And we went on to see that that in Amos was ultimately to be fulfilled in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it comprises, or at least ought to comprise, only those who are converted. Whereas with respect, with respect to Israel, yeah, as long as you were born from Jacob's 12 sons, 
you were an Israelite. And consequently, the tendency for them to go after wickedness. But there it is. Those who escape shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Now this might sound as though it is now referring to the fact that the Israelites were now going to come and destroy the people of Israel, rather the people of uh, uh, Edom. But other, uh, rather it speaks about the final day of judgment. That's what it's speaking about. It's speaking in terms of the way in which God is going to punish them and they will now rejoice in triumph over them. I can quickly prove it to you <clears throat> by taking you to Malachi and the very last chapter. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Just the first three verses. And behold, the day is coming. Again, remember, it is the day of the Lord. That final day of judgment, which he has just been speaking about. Notice, burning like an oven. So there it is again. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame, and so on. When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. There it is. And the house of Esau stubble. So I hope you can see that we are really talking about the same thing. And again, the day, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Set who ablaze? All the arrogant and all the evildoers, all who are stubborn. That day shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And then he says... But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. That same day that these are being consumed by that heat from the sun, in your case, that same heat will simply be warmth. That's all, just warmth, causing you uh, to, to experience healing in your wings. And so you shall go out leaping like calves, from the store. So you, you come out free at last. Free from sin. Free from sorrow. Free from all the suffering that was there in this world. Free at last on that day. But notice the next verse. Rather, the next statement. Verse 3. And you shall tread down the wicked for they shall, there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act <laughs> so you acting on the day when I act says the Lord of hosts 
So really, it's the same statement here. For there shall be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So, on that final day, it won't be us now taking swords and looking for Edomites to pierce them and say it's our day of revenge. No. But it will be a day of vindication all the same. And that is what is being pictured here in Obadiah's words. Once you attach it to the rest of the Old Testament, including the New, you realize it's actually pointing not to some event that's going to happen tomorrow or a few days from now, but it is the ultimate, ultimate day when God's people, when the righteous will be vindicated. Well, let's hurry on now. That end is one in which the kingdom of God will be seen in all its glory. When the nations are going to come in and be numbered together with the people of God. And it uses the phrase saviors in plural, but I trust it can also be understood as um, a savior with a capital S. But let's read anyway, verse 19 to verse 21, to end the whole chapter. Those of the Negev, this really was the promised land, by the way, the land that flows with milk and honey. Okay, so the, the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Okay, so the very people that refused entry, the very people that were jumping with joy as Israel was being made to lick the dust, the other way now. Israel is the one that is now going to possess their land completely. And those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host, of the people of Israel, shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. What a change of fortunes the prophet seems to be saying here. At the time he's speaking, the people of Israel are a sorry sight. The Babylonians have come and wrecked havoc and taken their own sons into captivity. Esau, the people that descended from Esau, are dancing away at this victory. They are really rejoicing at what is happening. And 
Obadiah shows up and basically pours water on the, the party, switches off the lights on them, so to speak, and says, in fact, watch this space. The very people right now you are dancing about are the ones who will be dancing in a more glorious way than is ever considered. The Lord will do it. Those are the prophets in the days of Israel. They were not prophesying who will win between Zambia and Japan. They had bigger business to attend to. They were pointing to where history is going. Are you in the winning team? Are you? If you are an individual or part of a team that's fighting against God, fighting against God's work, fighting against God's church, fighting against God's children, you are in the losing team. It doesn't matter if right now you seem to be victorious and God's people are licking the dust. It doesn't matter because God is still on the throne. His word will still be fulfilled. His day of vengeance will come. And the sooner you repent of that grudge, repent of that bitterness, repent of that blindness, and go to Christ for forgiveness, the better it will be for you. Thankfully, he is a forgiving savior. He is the saviors that will come upon Mount Zion. But lastly, If it's you who's under attack, if it's you that right now others are gloating over, that you, you've been defeated, that you've been brought to shame, and your name is being dragged in the mud, don't fight. Leave your case in God's hands. He will do the fighting for you. Either in this life or, and of this you can be sure, on that final day. And at that point, you will be utterly, utterly vindicated. So yours is trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but 